y'all. It's time for Rolling Dice and Taking Names. In this episode, the guys talk about the epic 4X game Clash of Cultures. Plus, five-minute initiatives for Alien, Cascadia, and Machi Koro 2. But wait, that's not all. The finalists for the Toy Hall of Fame have been announced, and the guys give their picks for this year's winners. Please tell me there's not a wind-up, Marty and Tony. Hello and welcome to Rolling Dice and Taking Names, episode number 240, Should I Stay or Should I Go? I'm Tony. If I stay, it will be trouble because I'm Marty. This is so true. So I'm having a brain fart. Clash? The Clash. Look at you. Yeah. Yeah. Nice. So, I mean, their two big hits were what? This one and my Sharona. I thought I'll rock the Casbah. And rock the Casbah. So they're three biggest. They did my Sharona too, right? I don't know. That could cost you $5 unless you correct it here in the next 30 seconds. The <laughs> clock He's is running. only giving me 30 seconds. Hold on. The I got to go through really running. fast. Uh, oh, just the knack. It's the knack. <laughs> it's the something. It's not the clash. It's the knack. Okay. Okay. See, I've already Ooh. looked at all the songs by the clash, so I knew that it wasn't, <laughs> but I was going to put, put a little pressure on it because we have not given away $5 in a while. Either people aren't listening close enough or we're that good. Yeah, let's just remind people, people may have forgotten, if you find an error or a mistake in our episode, if you're the first one to let us know via Discord or uh, email, roll dice, take names, or however you want to let us know, we're going to give you a $5 gift card to Miniature Market. And we used to be giving these out like crazy. Now, I know it's not because we're not making mistakes anymore. I just think people are either so used to mistakes that it's just not worth doing it anymore or, or, or something like that. But we still are honoring that. The only caveat I think we say, Tony, is mispronunciations of words of games and names. We do not give $5 for that. <laughs> yeah. And there, there were a lot of footnotes to the $5. They built over time, but that was number one. That was the big key was that if we mispronounce a name or a board game, um, that does not count. And also there was a limit on how long you can claim it. So if you're listening to episode number 220 right now, <laughs> that does not count, you know, from that standpoint. I think we said uh, you have up until the next episode. Right. So you have up until the release of episode 241 in order to claim $5. So uh, you almost had one, y'all, because if if I hadn't Googled and Tony gave me only 30 seconds to check, uh, you'd have had five bucks on that. All right. Awesome. This was one of those songs. Uh, I know you played Guitar Hero because I did because you did. Oh, yeah. And this was one of the songs that was always, it's, I think it was the easiest song on there. <laughs> it, it was one of the easier ones. Did you just do the guitar? Did you also have the drums too? I had the drums. I was not coordinated enough to do the drums. Right. So, yeah, I had the whole, what was this? You had the microphone, the drums, the guitar. I think those were the three big things. I can't remember. Yeah, if there was and the one. Guitar, guitar could double as the bass or guitar. So, yeah. Okay. And I remember it was such a craze. And then something happened and it just like died. Well, it was because you had Guitar Hero and you had Rock Band. And you had Rock Band 1, Rock Band 2, Rock Band 3, Guitar Hero 1, 2, 3. I mean, they just, they just exhausted that, that genre real quick. Yeah, but they had to keep coming out with songs to keep challenging you. Mm-hmm. No, that, that's true. And I I had enough of the instruments here to where we could do like a band. So, you know, we had two of the guitars. So one person could play bass, one person play guitar. But the only thing was, is that's not how you play a guitar. So it, I will say this. It's good for the drums. I, I've told people it's like, you know, 
he's like, you know, hey, you can learn how to play guitar on Guitar Hero. No, you can't. But you can learn how to play the drums because you do have to keep rhythm. And I think the the advanced of most of the drum songs were pretty close to what it was supposed to be. So if you could get all the hits that you were supposed to, at least with your hands and your arms, you were making the motions that you would have need to have done. My problem was where I was supposed to be hitting, I was getting nowhere near because my eyes were forward on the TV and I had no, I was hitting plastic. I was hitting everything, but what I was supposed to be hitting. And then you want me to step on something? <laughs> I was going to ask you, how, how did the kick go <laughs> with your foot? It got kicked through the TV one time. No, it didn't. Yeah, but oh, I, I tried the drums a couple of times and I'm like, that's it. I cannot do that. I can't not do the singing. I can do the guitar somewhat, never can uh-huh. progress up. And then it went to Salvation Army. So that's what happened with Guitar Hero and Rock Band. It's funny. A, a couple of years ago, there was like a, a version that came out on the PC. I can't remember the name of it, but you could go get it and just download songs. They, they People made files for a bunch of different songs. And Brett went actually out and bought a used guitar because we'd given all our, our ways to. And so he would just sit in his room. And play through the PC. Again, it was a PC game. So I don't know. It's one of those things that was kind of fun to just diddle with. Adam was the one, you know, Adam can really play guitar. And even though it's not playing guitar, he, he had good uh, left hand, right hand uh, separation. So he could, he could do, he was very coordinated with that. And he'd just sit there and just play on the couch and just move all up and down the neck board playing the advanced stuff. And I was like, gosh, you make me sick. Glad we lived through that. Glad it was done. And I apologize for being late to our recording tonight, but nothing like a text from your long guy saying, hey, go mark your sprinklers. <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm waiting for mine any day now. And uh, that is a whole procedure, isn't it? And this will be the first year. I'm an empty nester now. So this will be the first year I'm doing it by myself. Usually I have all the boys go out into the yard. I hand each of them a stack of flags and I go over to the control thing and turn on one, one zone and they mark all the flags and I'm, I'm the one switching the zones and they walk around the yard and put the flags down. So now it's going to have to be me that does everything. Well, Donna went out and did the controls for me. Mm-hmm. We, we had a little m- malfunction at the beginning. I didn't realize that you had to turn it the way you go. You go to manual and then you go to run, but f- when you go through manual, it goes through system off to run yep. and and she was going too slow and I didn't think it mattered and it kept giving her an error. I'm like, what in the world is wrong with this thing? And so then we figured out what was happening there. But yes, so Vanessa should be able to go out there and control and knowing Vanessa, I could just see her now. She could, you'd start marking them and the system would go off and then she'd go turn on the next one and say, get moving boy. <laughs> That's true. It'd be like a race race out there. So yeah, yeah. it is uh, It is time for uh, for those who do want to aerate. It's, it's, it's that time. It's so funny, Tony. I had somebody on Twitter today ask us from the Midwest, ask us about winterizing. They said, hey, if I winterize my yard, is it okay to go ahead and put the seed down? And I asked him, I said, what do you mean by winterizing? He never responded. If it's just fertilizer, yes, that's fine. Mm-hmm. Uh, but like you warned earlier, not pre-emergent. Yes. Read that bag. Read the bag very well. And you definitely do not want a fertilizer that is high in the nitrogen content going into the winter, which is the first number of the fertilizer. 
Mm. And I will Google that. I don't have 30 seconds because my hands don't work that fast. <laughs> but I'm pretty sure nitrogen is the first one. And nitrogen, of course, promotes high growth and continued growth. So when I took Horticulture 101 at NC State, I was taught all this inf fun information. I forgot you took Horticulture. What else did you learn in there? I learned about cuttings of plants, how to cut the various plants, about watering, about root balls and how to, whenever you buy a plant, you need to definitely, when you pull it out of the pot, you know, most people pull it out of the pot, stick it in the ground. No, you need to break the soil loose and spread the roots out. And we learned about the zones around the tree. It was just all kinds of interesting things. I really, really enjoyed that class. A good thing I took it when I was a senior or I may have changed majors. Yeah. And for those wondering, it's like you guys have talked about like you took horticulture. And if you've heard us before, we've talked about taking, um, we took weather, introduction to meteorology and stuff like that. And it's like, why are you taking this stuff? I'll tell you why. Because engineering is so rigorous that when they give you an elective, you pick the most interesting, easiest thing that you think you can take, even if it's extra PEs, which I did that too. Yeah. So I took, um, I don't know how many of yours, man. I took horticulture. I took uh, coaching golf. You took coaching. Wow. Four guys in the class and three of them were very, very big boys. Let's just say they played for the football team. Oh, and <laughs> so so you're saying that was one of the crip courses that uh, the football players tend to take. Actually, I would not say because there were only three in there. It required a lot of work, a lot more. I mean, you had to do lesson plans and you had to go out and engage schools. And then unfortunately, you had to go play golf, which is something I really, really enjoyed. So, <laughs> but yes, no, it's, it is um, nitrogen, potassium and potassium. Potash. Potash or pot potash? Once again, pronunciation doesn't potash, <laughs> potash. So what was the second one? Uh, phosphate. Is it around 10? I can't remember. I can't remember the first number that you want like in, in about this time of year. I thought it was around 10 or so yeah, for the nitrogen. nitrogen. Yeah, you want about a 10, 10, 10 on your fertilizer to get it started going and hold still. I thought maybe it was asking about winterizing your aeration. I mean, your um, sprinkler system. And, and by the way, I just will put this out there. We are not lawn experts do not take our advice without doing your own research first. <laughs> or go watch my favorite YouTube channel, Silver Sim uh, uh, Silver Symbol, like the on a drum. See how uh -huh. I've gone all the way? He does a great job explaining things. And I watched him just put in a, a self-tapping well so that he could get water in the back of his yard. And he sat there and he drove, you know, like the old pump wells. He showed how to do that. And I was like, that is way too much work. Uh, so lots of times we talk on this show about uh, uh, senior moments uh, that we have. And Tony, I want to tell you about a, a senior moment that I had uh, just recently. And for those who are young, it's like we hear about this. It's, you know, things of being forgetful and, you know, why did I come in this room? <laughs> you know, that sort of deal. So about a month ago, it was, I need to go buy some new shoes. So I went out to the store and I, I went around, found some that I wanted to wear for work and uh, just some comfortable shoes and uh, light shoes. And I got them, bought them, really enjoyed them. A couple of weeks ago, I thought, oh boy, I, I need new running shoes. The running shoes I have are absolutely worn out. Uh, so I went to a store, it was, it was a different one, and uh, looked around and found some shoes. These were like listed as running and uh, running, walking. They were light, flexible you know, what you want in a running shoe. So I was so happy with them. I came home, I, I broke them in. Next day I put them on and went running, came back and I said, well, let me just put them away with, uh, with the rest of my shoes. And I go and put them in my closet. And Tony, I bought the exact same style of shoe 
twice. <laughs> I bought the same pair of shoes twice. <laughs> and I don't remember that at all. I'm looking at these going, oh, these are really nice. I had been wearing those same style of shoes for two weeks to work. And when I went to buy my new running shoes, it never hit me that it's like, oh, that's what I already have. Oh, man. That's okay. Did you re-exchange them or do you just now have a backup pair? Well, no, I've already ran in them. I mean, I'd already broken in and went running and stuff. Yeah. So basically, I have those shoes marked as my running shoes and the other shoes when I went to work. <laughs> well, let me know when you put an L and an R on the bottom of them. <laughs> I probably need to. Um, I came home and told Vanessa, I said, I brought in the two pairs of shoes and I went, look what I just did. She said, those are the same. I went, yes, they are. <laughs> and I know, and I know you don't watch TV. You, you know, you don't. Oh, I do. Com- okay. But commercials. Oh yeah, I don't. You don't. So there's, have you ever seen any of the progressive commercials with Dr. Rick? Don't be your parents. Oh my gosh. I love those. Holy cow. Yes. I love those. And the one where he takes the guy to the strip Blue. mall. Well, that's to the furniture, but he takes the one guy to the strip mall and Uh he's saying, he's talking to the young kid and he says, you know what kind of fish those are? Oh, come on. Don't be coy. (laughs) But he's standing there and he's holding a shirt and Dr. Rick looks at him and says, have you seen that shirt before? And he looks down and he's wearing the exact same shirt. That's it. Oh my gosh. (laughs) No, I have not seen that one. That's Uh, me. Oh my gosh. Oh. Oh, geez. Before I forget to talk about this, just want to let y'all know, uh, we do have a YouTube channel um, over at um, Roll Dice Tech Names, youtube.com slash Roll Dice Tech Names. And I'm doing my top 10 most influential games of all time. My number 10 was Catan. And I just released my number nine, Pandemic. Uh, so if you want to check that out, uh, subscribe, give it a thumbs up uh, if you like it. Uh, most of these are just about what was it about this game that meant so much to me and why did it have an impact on the games that I like today and everything? And those I know are kind of the standard fare, but I'm very excited about my next one. I've started writing the script and it's the next eight that I'm super excited about because they're going to be a little bit off the mark than what, you know, if somebody was to say, oh, what's a game that had an important impact on you? Catan, Pandemic. That's kind of almost cliche at this point. Uh, But my number eight is one that probably many people have never even played. So I'm writing that now. Hope to get that out in a few weeks. How far back are you going with these games? I mean, all all the way to day one, because I started it this year because you and I have been playing tabletop games for 20 years. 20 years? Uh, Yeah, hobby style games for 20 years. Yes, we have. Really? Yes. 2001. Okay, senior moment. Man, golly, I've been doing this for 20 years. But are you including your childhood games as well that may have nope, been? No, I am not. I'm okay. just the past 20 years. So I'm not including things like, things like Clue and stuff did have an impact on me. We just talked about, uh, uh, what's the deduction game we just talked <laughs> I'm just having a senior moment again. Oh my gosh. Oh, Paint, Paint the, the roses. roses. Holy cow, Marty. Paint the Roses. Is there drugs? Is there something I can take? Paint the roses. Yeah, it's called Prevagen. Yeah. <laughs> but it doesn't, Prevagen doesn't work, they say. Uh, Paint the Roses, which is coming out on a Kickstarter. I loved the deduction games as a kid, like Clue. Paint the Roses is kind of like that uh, for me. So anyway, but no, I'm not going back that far. So Pandemic is out there right now if you want to go check it out. All right. So as a kid, since you're not doing those, what would be the number one game do you think that influenced you as a kid in playing games? What was as the a game? Ki- as yeah, a what? kid. 
Yeah. Lord. I don't, I don't know. So I played, there wasn't a standard. I played a lot of uh, 52 card, uh, standard type uh, card games. Uh, you know, uh, Old Maid, Gin Rummy, uh, that, that sort of thing. So I got into card games like that. And we did have the Clue and the Monopolies. I don't know that there was one, man. I really don't. Well, the, and the reason why I ask is we have another segment coming up later in the show that will lead into that. That's why I was kind of asking, kind of like for me grow, growing up, the game that I enjoyed playing the most because there was, was two-player was Stratego. Oh, yeah. So so I'm just kind of curious because when we get to this next that segment, mm-hmm. then there's a couple of games in there, and one of them almost made me not play games. The segment that's going to be coming up it is every year we always look at the finalists for the toy hall of fame inductees it's the inductees for the toy hall of fame mm-hmm. and every year we go through them and tony and i will pick the three that we think they're going to win and when they announce it we'll come back and do another episode and talk about those so yeah i can't wait to hear uh, which one of those that is i did like something that came across our desk and i've been trying to get it purchased and i hope they get the website fixed but asmodee has is offering out pink ticket to ride trains I'll have a link in the show notes if I remember after I listen to the episode and put it back in on the pasting of this thing. But yes, I'm trying to get me some pink Ticket to Ride trains. I think they would look really good on the board and it would match the cards and confuse Ticket to Ride players even more because there are pink cards. And why are they pink? Oh, for the... Breast cancer. <laughs> the, the most important part about this. Yeah, I'm sorry. He's going off on how it's going to mess people up because they're pink. It's like it's for a good reason. The important part of why they're selling pink trains is for breast cancer awareness. Yes, and yeah. for and for every one they sell goes to breast cancer awareness. I am trying to get them. I will buy up. I think I'm going to order two or three sets. Hold on, order a set for me. I want a set. Okay, I'll, I'll get four sets or three sets, whatever I am. I'm definitely getting two, one for myself and one for uh, Rebecca's Ticket to Ride set, and I'll get you one. I don't, Yes. You, you still got a Ticket to Ride? Oh, yes. I love Ticket to Ride. Ticket to Ride is one of those games that will never, ever, ever leave my shelf. And no. this is really cool. They're only $4.95. It looks like it's in a little tin. And if you go look at the website, you'll see it. October is Breast Cancer Awareness Month, and you'll see a lot of support from teams and stuff. They'll be wearing pink and everything like that. So I think this was really, really cool. And uh, I, too, need some uh, pink trains. So great idea from uh, Asmodee and Days of Wonder. And uh, like I said, check the show notes for the link. $4.95, you got to get that. And while you're there, go ahead and shop for other items. They got an on sale page and things like that. But I was having trouble with the, the page. So I hope it's fixed by the time the show comes out. Okay. Once again, great thing to do. But I already have trouble explaining to some people the color of the trains versus the cards. And there are pink cards. So this will be even more fun for me. I'm looking forward to this. And we've, yeah. And I think anybody who has taught Ticket to Ride to somebody who hasn't played a lot of games, it is confusing. It is confusing on on the colors of your trains and the colors of the cards. Yes, they are. And, well, this will be even more fun. That's why the special trains that come out with the anniversary editions are so nice. So I love my anniversary edition cars. Those are so cool. All right, y'all. We got a lot of games to get into. So let's go ahead and jump into, man, some games, some talk about uh, the Toy Hall of Fame, and make sure to hang out till the outro when it's going to be our typical video game discussion because the Nintendo Direct happened. And there's more than meets the eye in that story. MentureMarket.com is where you go to find all those 
gorgeous pre-orders. You heard about all the games from Gen Con. Go out there right now. Get those pre-orders in. Build up that $99 free shipping. Wait for them all to come in. Definitely start doing it now because all you hear about on the news is about the shortage of things that are due to shipping or manufacturing and you're not going to have any presents. It's going to be a Grinch Christmas. Don't let that be you. Head over to miniaturemarket.com where you need to get all those great games, especially one we talked about in 239 called Warcraft Wrath of the Lich King. Still on pre-order. Be sure to check it out. That's miniaturemarket.com. Five-minute initiative begins in three, two, one. First one we want to talk about is Cascadia from Randy Flynn from Fallout Games. Now, I asked Marty... I said, Marty, I need another tiling game. And Marty says, you know what? Well, here's Cascadia. Why don't you go teach Donna this game? And I did. And then I brought it to the table for me and Marty. It is a quick playing game. And you are out in the wilderness trying to build a nature preserve. Or at least that's what it is for me. I, I don't know about you, Marty. I, I felt like I was building a, a, a natural park here. Oh, yeah, I was too. Uh, you're drafting these uh, hex shaped tiles that represent different terrains and you're trying to put those terrains together and those hex based tiles have pictures of animals on them and when you draft a hex tile you also can claim the animal token that's underneath it and you place that animal token on one of the valid tiles it's just basically you got to put it on a tile that has the matching animal on it and what you got you got like five animals right elk wolf bear bird fox fish and fox so there were six or not wolf. I fox. said wolf. Okay. It was fox. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's yeah. it. In typical tile laying fashion, Tony Wright, the way you orient these are going to generate some victory points for you at the end of the game. So you're trying to best lay out your tiles and generate the most victory points based upon objective cards that were established at the beginning of the and game. And are objective cards for all the animals in the game. They are randomly selected for like the bear and the fish. And you just read the card and see what do you need to do. They're explained in the rule book. Pretty darn straightforward. But you can also get points on how you lay out your terrain tiles. Because if you interconnect the same type of terrain... Majority rules, you get an additional point. So you count up the number of, oh, I don't know, mountain terrains you have. Let's say you have five and Marty's playing. He has four. I get five points. Marty gets four, but I get an additional two in a two-player game. Add up all those points. Person with the highest victory points wins. Now, there are special tiles in there, Marty, that are called the Keystone Tiles, which only have one animal on it. And when you place the wildlife token on that that matches, you get a pine cone. That pine cone lets you do something special. It breaks the rules. It allows you to pick a terrain tile and not the associated wildlife token. You can pick it from another column. Where was the strategy in this game for you, Marty? Where did you think that, that fit in? Well, there was multiple things, right? So not only when you claimed a tile, like you said, placing it makes a difference because you do want to try to get as many similar terrain tiles adjacent to each other because they score points. But then you also want to make sure that you want to set up your animals in a certain way so that based on whatever objectives that you have, that when you put the tokens in play, that they will score points based on those objective tokens. And there were a bunch of different things, right? I, I like the one that we had. It was like the salmon mm -hmm. run or something like that. You had to create a river. And uh, if you had a 
a series of adjacent tiles with fish tokens on them. Then you got points for all the animals that are around the river. Cause guess what? Those animals are like bears going in, getting salmon and eating and everything like that. So every objective tile is totally different. Sometimes you want the animals away from each other. Sometimes you want them surrounded by something else. So to me, the strategy was, okay, there's two things I got to think about where to put this type of tile and to make sure that the animal is on it, I can eventually get that animal token and put it in this place to, to create points. Right. And for me, I was sitting there thinking, okay, is there any way that I can draft this to possibly hurt you? I got to pay attention to what you're trying to build for to keep you from, you know, getting maybe a big score that's on one of those cards. But one thing that got me was if you're not careful when the tokens come out, when the wildlife tokens come out, and you want a specific tile to place, if you don't have a place for that wildlife token, you can't take it because mm. you're stuck in that. So you've got to pay attention. You've got to make sure that you maybe should have one of multiples. It may not be the best terrain for you, but you may be forced to take it. That's what makes that game kind of challenging at times, but I did find it to be very solo-oriented for me. Even though I was looking at you, I wasn't you really like, concentrated. You mean like solitaire? Yeah, solitaire. Thank you. Yeah, yeah. There's a solo version that I'll let you discover on your own. But yes, it was very solitary. There wasn't a lot of give and take between you and I on this. No, wasn't a lot of interaction. And now we play two player. If you play four player, it's going to be harder to play in because after you take a tile, by the way, when you take a tile and a token, a face down tile is drawn off the stack, put face up, and then you reach into the bag and pull out one of the animal tokens. And that's how you replenish it. So if you got four players, the tiles that are available to you could be totally different by the time it gets back to you. So you can't really plan. Two players are a little bit easier to plan. Enjoyed the game. I thought it was a gorgeous game. Well, of course it's gorgeous. The art's by Beth Sobel from Wingspan, Calico, Arboretum, Viticulture, all that stuff. So I enjoyed the game, Marty. When Donna and I played, she felt it was too much solitaire. She liked the more interaction of the old classic Carcassonne, mm -hmm. which is fine. How about for you? Yeah, so we just uh, covered Luna Capital last uh, episode, which is also a tile placement game. You were drafting a place, a construction card to put tiles and drafting the tiles to put on it. The difference between that one is, is the tiles that you drafted would kind of dictate how you want to create your points. And here you have the objectives that change each game. I like the drafting of both of those games. I think this was probably a little bit easier to teach, a little bit easier to set up. So if you're looking for a easy to get to the table tile placement game, and you don't have a lot of those, and or if you want to introduce your family to a game like this, the theme is very friendly. Everybody can understand, hey, we're putting together different terrains, getting animals out there. Uh, just have to try to explain how each of the objective cards work. And once you got that done, uh, you're off and running. It does have a solitaire feel, especially with two players. I really wasn't paying attention to what you were doing. I was just kind of minding my own business. But a solid little tile placement game. And I like the drafting that's involved too. That's Cascadia from Fallout Games and AEG. Five minute initiative is complete. Because of the current situation that's been going on, on over the past old oh, year and a half. It's been hard, Tony, for you and I to get a big group of people together and play a game that takes a few hours to play, which is why I was really excited when we got an early copy of Clash of Cultures Monumental Edition designed by Christian Markinson from WizKids Games because this is the epic style of game that I have been really wanting to play for many, many months. A game plays two to four players. And when we sit down and I know it's going to take 
three to five hours to play. I was actually craving that. I know you were sweating bullets. You were not looking forward to this at all, but I was so looking forward to sitting up in our buddy Mark's game room, getting some food, drinking some drinks, and enjoying each other's company over this epic Civ-style game for four hours. So for those of you listening right now, I would like to tell you now would be a good time to pause rolling dice and taking names and take a break because this one may take a while. This is a good, <laughs> good bathroom time for y'all and come on back and join us. But yes, when Marty told me three to five hours, the eyes rolled in the back of the head because he knows how much I love epic games like this. He knows that for me, as long as it's moving, I'm, in, I'm engaged. You slow down. You put a speed bump in front of me and the switch is coming out. <laughs> okay. I mean, I'm going to be fair. So did the switch hit the table or did I stay engaged? Think about it. Everybody just think about it for a while. What do you think I did? The switch never hit the table. That's right. Bravo. Bravo. We were ready for it. Yeah, you were. I stayed engaged only because I needed to rule check because <laughs> this bad boy's 36 pages. Let's just set up what we got here. So when we sit down at the table, you've got these tiles that are made up of four hexes that are put face down on the table. And depending on how many players that there are, you're going to set up a map. And each of you have a starting tile that you're going to begin with. The advanced game has civilizations. Now, the base Clash of Culture game didn't have civilizations that was added in as an expansion. So what makes Monumental? Monumental is number one. Oh my gosh, so many cool little plastic pieces to represent all your armies and cities and wonders and everything. But they also include the civilizations. So each of you have a tech tree, a lot of cubes that you're going to be using to fill out that tech tree. And each of you are giving a random civilization to start at the beginning of the game. Some of the civilizations have a particular starting tile. If not, it's just a generic starting tile. Get that set up and you are just ready to go. And I listened to an interview with Jessa from over at WizKids who talked to the designer. He said, she, she said, what was your motivation for this game? He said, I wanted to create a board game that gave me that sense of like a Civ style video game. And when he said that, I sat there and thought, you did it. I honestly think you did it. You're sitting there. I have a tile and there's fog of war around me. I don't know what's around me. I just know I need to explore. It's a 4X game. So one of the X's is I'm going to explore. I'm going to go out, try to build cities, exploit the area in order to try to gather resources. If I run into NPCs like barbarians or pirates, I'm going to try to exterminate them. Uh, and, you know, so, or if I run into other people, maybe I want to combat then everything. So it, it is a Civ style 4X game. Starts out very simple. You're just going to start moving, flipping over tiles and building out your civilization. And advancing your civilization through your tech trees. So you're right. It's move, explore, build your city up, gather some resources, build out your tech tree or go fight. <laughs> I mean, that's it. I mean, that's, yes. that, that's the core actions you're, you're doing, yeah. you know, what is it? Three actions on your turn. Yeah. Uh, you're doing uh, three of six possible actions on your turn. One of them is uh, move, 
which we'd already talked about. Advance, which is advancing your uh, tech tree. There's a cost to that. You can uh, found a city. Uh, you can take one of your settler figures and com- convert them over to a city. And then here's what's interesting is, based on the number of cities that you have, you can activate a city. When you activate a particular particular city, you can pay resources to recruit units, such as more settlers or military, such as cavalry, elephants, etc., You can activate a city to collect resources from surrounding tiles, or you can construct buildings to add to the city because the bigger your city, when you activate it, the more units you'll be able to recruit, the more resources you'll be able to collect based upon the size of the city. And there's just two other things. You can take an action to increase happiness or increase culture. That's it. And then you're just going to play over the course of six ages with each age consisting of three rounds. So where's the complexity of 36 pages? It's all the little caveats in the rules. You know, just something as simple as, oh, by the way, only X amount of troops can be in this area. Or if you want to increase happiness, you have to do this, this, this. When you're fighting, this kicks in. Oh, you want to advance your civilization? That's great. But one of the neat things is, I do want to stop here for a moment, is as you advance your civilization, when you get to a certain point, people start to notice you. If you've advanced your civilization three times or your tech tree three times, you can create an event for yourself. You've been noticed by the outside world. And I enjoyed that. The event deck was one of the best things about this game because if you've played a Civ game, you know that sometimes random things happen. Now, I've played this game twice now. Tony was not able to be there yesterday when I played. So, Tony, I just want to tell you some of the event cards that I drew in yesterday's game. Are you ready? It was nothing but natural disasters, my friend. I encountered a volcano, the plague, fire, an earthquake, a famine. (laughs) So, those are the types of events that came up. Meanwhile, maybe Mark sitting across the table from me was like, hey, your city's happy. Gain two gold. I'm like, what? (laughs) So most of the events in here are bad, but there are some that are good. But what I love about the events is they also spawn barbarians. Now, barbarians are NPCs that show up on the board that wander around that you have to deal with because these events may also move the barbarians And if they come into your area, well, then you're going to have to fight. So it's one of those things that I really enjoyed how the game was. It was once I got into it, I was like, oh, I see how this works. Oh, here's my strategy on the tech tree. This is what I want to do. Oh, wow. If I had done this sooner, that would have been free. Man, maybe if I could do this, then I'll be able to go over there and just have a shipping trading mega hub. All that stuff. It gave me various opportunities, and the civilization also dictated what I wanted to do. Now, you win by victory points, and one of the things about victory points is you got to be able to score them and objectives. What's this objective thing? Like, my civilization needs objective other than just staying alive. See, I like this. So at the beginning of the game, everybody is given one action card and one objective card. Now, the action card can be used. Sometimes it just lets you, hey, you could take a free action on your turn, such as a free advance or something. Or at the bottom, it was split into two parts. The bottom was for battle. We'll talk about how battle happens in a second. It's actually really straightforward. But it could be used as an action card uh, uh, during battle. But the objective card will give you two points if you fulfill something. I like that, Tony, because 
to me, it wasn't as wide open. The objectives kind of gave me a goal. I knew that, okay, if I could achieve this little goal, and it may be a couple of the ones I had yesterday, Tony, is the tech tree has like four texts per column, like science has four. And it says, if you fill in all of those science texts, turn in this objective and you get two points. So I had a few of them like that. Very straightforward. Now, Bert had a really weird one where he had to get so many settlers, so many spaces away from his cities and so many spaces away from each other. Some of the objectives were a little bit harder than the others for that two points. But at the at the end of every age, you're always going to draw a new objective card, uh, which is nice. So you're constantly getting objectives and turning them in in order to generate victory points. So you got victory points from objective cards. You got half a point for every advance that you had on your tech tree. You got one point per building that you have. So you want to build a lot of buildings and all the buildings do different things. Different techs allow you to build certain buildings. And those certain buildings allow you to do certain things. For example, there's one like a maritime tech that allows you to build a port. Guess what? When you build a port, you can build a ship. Guess what? You build a ship, you can take navigation to move that ship around. It kind of builds on itself like, like a tech tree really should. So half a point per advance, one point per building, we also played with leaders, Tony. We didn't mention this. The civilizations have leaders. So you have three leader cards and you can recruit a leader. The leaders also have special abilities. There's a miniature for them that you put on the board. If you kill somebody else's leader, uh, you get two points for doing that. So there's multiple ways to score points during the game, but you really need to advance and build buildings because we played with Nate yesterday. He's the one that kind of ran away from everybody and he and I scored the exact same points when it came to a number of objectives and number of advances, but he was way better at generating resources and building way more buildings than I did and ended up blowing me away by 10 points just on sheer number of buildings almost. But was that because nobody was attacking him? No, because him and Mark attacked each other, but then he set up a really nice trade route. So what it is is you can uh, park your ships off somebody else's city and there's what I love about this game is that the text and the buildings make so much sense. So he set up trade routes using his ships to where at the beginning of his turn, he would get a food for every trade route that he has. Mm-hmm. Route, you say route or route? I say route. Yeah, this is the I was using this tactic because okay. I was parking my ships outside of Mark's port and saying, bring me some food. Yeah, so if Mark builds a market from that city that's generating food, whenever you collect food, he gets a gold, Hmm. which makes total sense. It's like, hey, uh, I'm coming here to get food. It's like, well, fine, I'm going to build a market. I'm going to get something in return for this. So he was getting gold when Nate was getting fish, and I think it went vice versa. I think they were doing that with each other. So they had a good resource generation and i was late to the game on that i should have that's another cool thing about this game is man every time you play it's like man okay next time i need to do this like boy i need to make sure i have irrigation in place so that when the famine card comes up i'm not affected by famine because the famine event card says oh if you have irrigation just ignore all the effects of this thing right here so a lot of your text that you can use will negate bad effects that happened with the event deck. What other rules do you want to cover here? Because let's just talk about enjoyment. But if you if you got other things you want to talk about, like you want to talk about battling. Well, I think dice. that's very important. Battle's very important. Why? So when you, you're killing people. Because how's, how's battles resolved? People want to know how battles are resolved. You're going to no, have two don't. units come. What? 
No, they don't need to know. I'll tell them. I'll, let me go to page. Let me go to the page, and I'll tell oh, them how Lord. to rule. I'm gonna, sorry, y'all. You're going to roll some dice, and you're going to take some names, and you're going to blow some barbarians out of the freaking water. No, those were the pirates. All right, so for every unit like you have out there, you're going to roll one die for them, and you're going to sum up all the dice. There are They are D12s that range from one through six, and you're going to sum all the dice, divide by five, and that will determine number of hits you have. So for example, if I sum up my dice and they're 10, I get two hits. If they're only nine, you round down, I only get one hit. So that's how much, how many hits you're going to do. And you're going to go into a battle and basically you're going to fight back and forth until basically somebody's wiped out. If you're the attacker, you, you can retreat. Now, there's different special units on the board. You may have elephants. And if you roll the die and a little elephant icon shows up on the die all the numbers have a little icon above it then what that does is that cancels a hit or if you had the cavalry maybe that boost the uh the amount of hits you had it adds plus two the more units you have the more likely you're going to deal damage but that's how battles work so you just roll back and forth taking hits dealing damage but at the beginning of every battle battle remember those action cards i talked about you could play an action card at the beginning maybe it's an archer card that says, hey, wait, before we even start battle, I'm going to let the archers take a quick shot. You roll a die. If it's a five or a six, boom, that's a hit. You have to remove one of your pieces off the board. Battle resolution is very, very easy. Add up, divide by five, and just keep going back and forth until somebody's wiped out. Hey, if you take over a city, you change all their pieces with your pieces, you just earned a bunch of points, but you just probably lost a bunch of people too. So now all of a sudden, you seem like, hey, you're like a perfect person to attack because y'all wiped each other out. Let me just come in there and take the city. Page 23, right column, summary of rules on battle. (laughs) There you go. I will say anything that we had to look up in the rule book, we could easily find. I think the rule book for what this game is, is really good. No, the rule book is excellent. I mean, it went quick. It was easy to find. Things were highlighted very well. Some things may slip by because of the the text. It may be buried in a paragraph somewhere. But if you go back and reread it, it jumps out at you like, oh, I don't know. You can only collect X number of resources based on the number of cities you get. You may, you may gloss over that. Size of the city. Size of the city. Yeah. This is really interesting too. The number of buildings that you can build is dictated by the number of cities that you have. So it's not like I can have a little city token and put four buildings around it unless I have oh, four other cities that are established. So I, that's a really cool rule that says you need to go out. You need to explore. You need to establish other cities. Well, those other cities can easily be captured by somebody else. So you have to be careful. There's something where you can do where you can influence culture, where you can try to replace a building in a nearby city with one of your own colors. It's like, hey, we're sharing culture. Except at the end of the game, you count up all your colored buildings on the board. So that piece that you took over now is one point for you and one point less for the person that built it. There's a way you can get wonders. Wonders are super expensive to make, meaning it takes a lot of resources, but they're worth four points at the end of the game. A typical good Civ game, lots of choices. I was worried, Tony, that after you played, you were going to say, this to me is, you like to use the word prescriptive. I like to use the word programmatic. It's like, okay, you got to do this, 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 and this to win the game. I think there's too much in that tech tree and too much going on for it to be prescriptive. But you have to have a plan. 100%. And that plan could change on a dime depending on events or objectives that you get. But no event wipes out anything in your tech tree. It does not. But let me tell you what events. This is an interesting one that Nate got a lot of points of yesterday. I drew a card that was an earthquake. 
it actually affected everybody on the board. Everybody had to pick from one to three buildings or city pieces that there was going to be destroyed and put on the earthquake card. At the end of the game, you got two points for each piece on that card. Well, it's like, I didn't want to lose a lot of pieces, so I just did one. Nate sacrificed three. So at the end of the game, I got two points for the one piece. He got six. So he took advantage of that. Oh man, earthquake wiped me out. But man, these buildings are worth one point at the end of the game. But if I destroy them now, they'll be worth two points at the end of the game. So sometimes the events, even though they did something that was bad, it would give you a way to recover from it and possibly give you points at the end of the game based on what happened. That's what made the event deck so good too. Risk versus reward. Exactly. And so at the very end of the game, Nate ran away by, he got six points off that. He killed a leader and he had a bunch of buildings on the board. Everything else, he and I somewhat tied at for everything else. It's just, he did a better job of, collecting resources, getting those, uh, getting those buildings out there. So overall for me, I think this game is one that it's a once in a, once in a while game. I'm not like you all jazzed up on it. I won't play again. I won't play again. I cannot do that. That's not me. Enjoyed it. I would play it so I could remember it, but I think it's one of those games that, uh, overall I would be concerned that if I, if you kept playing this, you're going to get so good that I would never stand a chance, right? You'll know your tech trees. You'll know what you want to do. You'll know which civilization you want to do. And that's great. That's what makes this game so good. So you've got to balance it with whoever you're playing with. Help them along at times, I think. You would have to say, oh, by the way, remember that you need to do this. It's long. I will say that. It is a long game. I didn't mind it, though. The Switch did not hit the table. So enjoyed it. So there was no grumpy Tony there at the table. Yesterday's game took us five hours. I would have been grumpy. Well, no, our game took us about five hours also. I was surprised it didn't go faster. The only person that had not played was Nate, and Nate picks up stuff pretty quick. It was just, but here's the thing. It always moved. We actually felt like when we got to age three, it's like, holy cow, this thing is moving quick. That's what is so epic about it. When a game that's four to five hours long didn't feel four to five hours because you're constantly thinking you're constantly seeing what everybody else is doing. Things are changing. And by the way, at the end of every age, uh, you go through a status phase where you can draw some, draw some cards, you get a a free advance. Uh, So there's, there's things that kind of reset during the status phase and during the status phase, if you use that third cube, uh, for another advance that triggers another event. So all that stuff's going on. Now I, I will say this, that you and I have played a lot of Euros recently. With, and we haven't been playing a lot of Ameritrash. They just haven't hit the table. This is definitely more of a Ameritrash game. Between event cards and combat rolling dice, sometimes things just don't go your way. And that's what happened to our buddy Bert yesterday. Early in the game, when he only had two cities set up, one of his cities he had had a fortress, and it was either one or two military units in it. A barbarian spawned because of an event right near him, moved to him eventually, and attacked. Bert couldn't roll worth poop. He rolled nothing but ones. I think he rolled three straight ones. And what ended up happening was the barbarians beat him, took over his city. Another barbarian spawned in that spot. Bert was left with one city. His game was basically reset to the very beginning. And I felt horrible for him. 
because he had been put into a hole that I credit to him, man. He played through the game. He did the best he could. And he, he finished, and this is nothing on him. I think he did the best he could and still finished last, like 10 points behind everybody else. And strictly because of that one bad turn of event and bad dice rolling. So you got to be ready for that, right? Any Ameritrash game, things just may not go your way and you just got to roll with the punches. Yeah, I understand that. That's what with me and the um, pirates, battling the pirates on the high seas. I could not destroy a pirate to save my life. But there is the old, let's go ahead and call mercy rule, where if nobody has any cities during a status phase, the game ends. And you know what? The, uh, he could have raised his final city we actually looked that up. We was wondering if you if you even allowed you, to, during the status phase, you can raise a city, which means remove it from the board for a gold. We were wondering if it allowed you to do the very last city. We couldn't find anything that says you can't do the last city. So I guess in theory, because we couldn't find that rule, he could have said, game over, and that and that's it. But he didn't. He was a good sport. He built up his forces again. He went out and knocked those guys out, but he was so far behind on resource management at that point because he couldn't collect as many resources as the rest of us could. So kudos to him for sticking through with it. He loved it the first time he played. He said this time, man, of course it was a little sour because he knew he didn't have any chance of winning. But again, that's the nature of these style of games. And if it would happen to me, I would have felt the same way. That does not knock the game for me at all. I'm just giving you a heads up. If you go into this, a certain turn of events could really mess you up. But this is also one of those where you as the other players could look over there and say, you know what? Well, if he doesn't hang around, he could end this game. There's got to be, maybe we needed to get over there and help. Mm -hmm. He could still have ended it, but maybe have been able to set up something to help rebuild his civilization to keep the game going. You're absolutely right. If if it was just him by himself trying to dig out of this hole, maybe go over there and get a trade. Help him get a market somehow if it was possible. I don't know. Bring over there and wipe the barbarians out and, and go there. I don't know. I mean, is there a way to help one another? Yes. This game is a civilization game. Yeah. So all negotiations open. You could trade anything. You could trade resources. You could trade cards. Open negotiation, and you should trade. You should trade with people, make deals, trade objective cards, and stuff like that. So this is all about that also. Now, I will say that after the game was over, we talked about how could we have mitigated what happened to him. Maybe you shouldn't set your make your city so close together. Make sure that the barbarians would spawn far enough away from you. Make sure that you build up forces really quick before worrying about building a bunch of buildings. Even he admitted, you know what? If I play this again, I will handle this differently to make sure I'm prepared for a potential barbarian event. But Tony, like you said, that's what it takes with playing over and over again is you realize what that event tech holds and how do you best prepare for the worst situation? Like the example I gave, get irrigation early in case famine hits. But that is the game's check against you on trying to run away in technology, knowing those event cards are going to come. So if you sit there and blast through technology advancements, knowing that an event's going to hit on your fourth uh, technology advancement, you could force a barbarian on you. So you may want to think about that. Before you go, maybe I need to, before I go and do a whole bunch of tech advances, I need to get out into the world, set up some routes, set up something to help me out. So yes, that's very important. Again, it doesn't knock the game for me at all. So here's where I stand on this game. 
I absolutely loved it. I played this game. I went back and looked up on BGG. I played the first version back in 2012. At that time, I was not into this style of game. I did not enjoy the head-to-head. I'm a different gamer now, nine years later. I enjoy this. And let me let me tell you how much I enjoy this. With more plays, I honestly think this game would break my top 10 game of all times. Because I love epic game experiences. And this provides it to me. I love Age of Empires on the PC. I love Civilization on the PC. And that's what this feels like to me is an analog version of those video games that are so much fun to play of building out your cities and collecting resources and building up forces and going out and trying to conquer the world. I loved it. I absolutely love Clash of Cultures Monumental Edition. And I know and when you're talking a four to five hour game, it won't hit the table that much. But I really hope I can make a hit more often than what we normally get these types of games to the table. On my side, I enjoy Mare Mer Nostrum. Always have. Wish I, I could see it more. You have an incredible map or mat that well, I'd like to see out for that game. I'd like to see that more. I know that game's shorter, not the same type of style, somewhat the same style. Mm-hmm. But, yeah. you know, I'd like to see that. But for me, I think the length of this game wouldn't be something that would hit the table a lot for me. I don't mind playing it, enjoy playing that. And especially as I get better at the rules, I think it would move a lot faster with everyone. It could be down to a two, three hour game. And there's always the, I quit rule. I'm going to raise this. <laughs> there is. There, there is the I quit rule. And it's funny, we talked about Mario Nostrum after our game yesterday. And all of us said, we ought to play that again and just see how it is in comparison. It's not exactly the same, but it did have that same epic feel, right? Uh, you've got people on the map that you're moving around the map and you're generating resources. So uh, I would like to try that again too. So again, y'all clash of cultures, monumental edition uh, coming out in October. This is a pricey game. It is $140 MSRP. You can get it on miniature market for 119. There's a lot in the box y'all. It is good, heavy, thick cardboard, a lot of little plastic pieces. They're not like uber detailed sculpts. The, the spears are bent. You can use the hot water treatment to straighten your spears. But to be honest with you, once you put it back in the box, they may bend again. doesn't hurt uh, the experience at all. So top-notch production. The art looks amazing. The tweaks that they've made to the game. And, and by the way, if you have the first one, the rules are different. They tweak the game. For, for example, the way events triggered in the original was based upon thresholds that you had when you crossed, when you increased your food inventory. Uh, or was it culture inventory? Anyway, now it's totally different. Three advances triggers the event. So they have tweaked some things. The designer streamlined a little bit, made it uh, have it make more sense and everything with you know so many years of, of gameplay. Classic cultures, whiz kids game. I am ready to sit down for another four to five hour epic game experience. Over on the Robinsburg. See, I was going to do that. See, I was going to do that. I was going to do the echo. <laughs> Were you really? Yes. <laughs> I was going to. I was going to say, over on the Robinsburger site, I, 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 I. <laughs> you can see a gameplay with me and Marty. <laughs> Where we played the game Echoes, Echo, 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 Echoes. And that's a terrible echo, 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 echo. But anyway, <laughs> Robinsberger has two story-driven games. 
echoes, the dancer echoes the cocktail, where you are trying to sleuth your way through cards by scanning cards and listening to a snippet of sounds and then put them in order correctly to deduce what happened during the story. Now, Marty and I play through one of the chapters of this. It's online. So if you want to see how it plays and just how the challenge goes for you, what was really cool about it was these cards, we were able to actually scan them online where he would show them to the screen and I could scan them. So this is a great game in the current situation where you may not be able to gather in other people's homes. Great family game. You'll be able to listen to it. So be sure to go and check out Echoes. The Dancer or Echoes the Cocktail from Robinsberger Games. These can be found over at Miniature Market, Target, Amazon. Check it out. Five minute initiative begins in three, two, one. In the last episode 239, I talked about a game from Robinsberger that is based on a movie that scared the bejeebus out of me. And we got it to the table that is Alien, Fate of the Nostromo, designer Scott Rogers. This is a co-op game where you are the crew of the Nostromo and an alien is trying to chase you and eat you. Did the alien really eat them? I just think he killed them. This, it just killed them. Yeah, you're right. You said, yeah, you're right. Yeah, I mean, I don't, you know, like I said, 1979, it scared the death. bejeebus out of me. It was a scary movie. Let me ask you a question real quick. Do you consider that a horror film or a sci-fi film? Yes. Okay. Both. Okay. Yeah. And, yep. and and I don't know if it's so much a horror, but the suspense level is out the roof in this. Maybe thriller. Okay. And I mean, just the fact that the alien fit could camouflage so well into the ship on how it was built. And then mm-hmm. you had the cat running around. Which, by the way, when you open up the game, the cat is staring at you. <laughs> and what's the cat's name? Oh, I, you would ask me that. I cannot remember what the cat... Jonesy! <laughs> was, was it Jonesy? Is he going to throw out a name and cost $5? Not yeah, Jonesy. Jonesy, so I was right about that. But you're, like I said, you're playing one of the crew members. And, he, yeah. and like any co-op game, the crew members have special abilities that will help you defeat objectives based on the number of players you'll have plus one more so when marty and i played we had three objectives and don and i played same thing and then when you complete the objectives then the final mission kicks in and if you can complete the final mission then you have escaped the nostromo you're safe or whatever it may be you do these various actions of move pick up stuff craft item along those lines, but you're trying to move around the ship. And when you turn over an encounter cart, the alien moves near you. And if the alien gets near you, it decreases your morale. And if morale gets too low, you lose. Yes. Yeah. That's it. That is a really good explanation right there. Yes. Yeah, so, you know, a player turn is, could be consisting of, depending on what type of mission you're doing, it could be, hey, you need to craft this particular thing. Go find some scrap. And there's scrap around the board. You go pick up scrap. And you have to go to a particular room to craft and uh, it takes so much scrap to craft this particular item. These items can do things for you, like it could be a flashlight that you can help uh, look around. It could be some sort of weapon in order to damage the alien or, or uh, an incinerator to you know to burn it and stuff. So you can craft different things, which I really enjoy. But you might have a, like I said, a mission that says craft this particular thing and take it to this room. So you're moving around, picking up things, going crafting, all while trying to avoid the alien as it comes around. And Tony, when you walk into some of these rooms, there's a token and you flip it over. And if it's the alien token, boop, it pops out 
pops out of the vent and right there it is. So it may be on one side of the board and you think, I'm safe from it. Flip over this token. It's like, nope, it's in the same room with you now. And scares the bejesus out of you. <laughs> yeah. And, it qu- and that's how it quickly, you know, takes out the morale. So you're thinking you're doing really well. And then suddenly your morale is going over. Now, some of the f- missions, they're basically craft and deliver missions or capture the cap missions. That's one of them. Mm-hmm. Now, I will say the mission, the final mission that Donna and I had wasn't that challenging, but I really liked the one you and I had where the Nostromo was going to self-destruct. That yeah. was top notch. Yeah, it was time. So basically we had four turns uh, to be able to complete the mission or the, the ship was going to blow up. So we had four turns to get out of the thing or it was going to blow up. And it's a very co-op game. It's one of those things. This is not solitaire at all. You have to work together because you can trade items. So I may have something. It's like, hey, Tony, can I get that scrap? Because then I can take this over here to craft this. You have limited inventory slots on your card. So you can't carry a bunch of stuff. You get, you're limited to what you can carry. It is a very clever Co-op game. And I will say this. Uh, we covered the uh, Aliens co-op game last year from Gale Force 9. I like this one better. That Aliens game is more like zombie side. You had aliens popping out all over the place and you had to fight and you had to shoot and you had to check line of sight and they activated and they moved and all this. So the AI part of the game took a while to resolve. This was way easier. So I actually prefer this one more than I do the Aliens game. And when you say way easier, I am going to make a comment that I do feel that this is definitely a way easier co-op game than some of the pandemic type games along those lines. I mean, it's, the, the objectives, like I said, are not that difficult to manage. You have to avoid the alien. So I think it's a good family game as long as the little ones aren't scared by this little cute miniature running around that looks like an alien. Yeah, it is nice little plastic figures that look really nice if you want to paint them up and everything like that. You can. Got the nice alien figure to paint. Nope, Tony's shaking his head. No, I'm not doing it. No, I'm not going to do that. So be sure to check it out. That is Alien Fate of the Nostromo from Ravensburger. Five-minute initiative is complete. All right, Tony, the 2021 National Toy Hall of Fame finalist. You ready through this? You ready to go through this list? I don't want to spend a lot of time going through it. Name them off to me, though, Marty. What, who, Here we who, who go. go. American Girl Dolls. Did your daughter get into those? She didn't get into it, but she had one. And, of course, she had one that looked like her. Is, it, uh, is, what, is that one of those things that's a collector's item that goes up in value? I don't know why it would. It could be. It's hard telling. I mean, there were the standard versions. I'm sure that there there were. But I am watching. <laughs> uh, when I saw this, you know what my mind ran to? What? The Ted Lasso, where he buys the doll, the American doll, but they say this is so English because they're orphaned, because her <laughs> the mother got canceled. I, I'm watching that show again with uh, my wife, who hadn't, hadn't seen it. So we're four episodes into the first season. All right, next one, a classic board game, Battleship. I'm surprised it hadn't been listed yet, but uh, was... Okay, remember, at the beginning of the show, you said there's a game that was your classic game. Is, is it Battleship? Uh, the classic game I love to hate? Uh, no, not Battleship. No, I have okay. no problem with Battleship, the electronic Battleship, all that good stuff about Battleship. You, you sang my Battleship. I, I love Battleship. Another good deduction game. Billiards. Interesting. Pool. Mm-hmm. So that's a... Obviously, Cabbage Patch Kids. Do you remember that crazy mm-hmm. thing that happened in the 80s where people were, man, that was a, that was a crazy, everybody's buying Cabbage Patch Kids. It was, it reminded me of the movie of, uh, 
oh my gosh, Arnold Schwarzenegger in the 90s, a jingle all the way, mm. where he went and had to go get the toy yep. and everything. That's yep. Between Tickle Me Elmo and Cabbage Patch Kids, that's the two things I remember for that. The Fisher-Price coin popper. Best gift to give yes. new couples. I was going to say the exact same thing. Whenever a couple has their first baby, you must give them the Fisher-Price coin popper. And if you're a parent and ever had one of those, you know why. Because it will drive you insane. And you just have a smirk on your face when you give it to those new parents and go, like, oh, thank you so much. And just laugh. It's like, you don't know what you're getting ready to get into. This and the toy where you would hammer the wooden box through. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Those are the two, and the first game that you should always give someone to, if you want to just have fun with them, is the one uh, Break the Ice. Yes. Where it only takes two minutes, kind of like Jenga, to knock it all through, and 40 minutes to set up the next version. <laughs> That's, I couldn't stand that game for that reason. Oh, Okay, uh, next on the list, Mahjong, which I have never played. Do you not play Mahjong? I have played Mahjong and uh, friends of ours, uh, Chinese friends of ours have taught me how to play. And there's two, the, that and billiards. Uh, I'll talk about something about, I'm surprised they're on here. Okay. So, uh, Masters of the Universe toys. Uh, if you ever, if you have Netflix, uh, go watch the episode about uh, toys that made us. They have a whole feature mm-hmm. on the Masters of the Universe. And that's kind, that's kind of having a resurgence, Tony. They have the Netflix show and Simon uh, uh, has their big Kickstarter going on as the time of this recording for their Masters of the Universe board game. All right. Pinata. Makes no sense to me. I, it's not like I'm going to cuddle with a pinata at night. Yeah, but there's candy in it. Not if you use it correctly. Oh, here it is. The game you love to hate. It's got to be Risk. Oh, I hate this game. Oh. I do too, man. I cannot stand. Man, you talking about getting ticked off at dice rolls? This was it right here. And the first time I played this, I remember it vividly. You know, you talk about how you forget walking in what you need in a room, but this game has been burned in the old synapse of the brain here. It started at a young age, y'all. This game took forever. And it, I was I was grumpy young Tony. I wanted that game to end so bad, so quick. Oh, it was just, it was miserable. And I never played it again. I had such a bad experience. All right, so the next one's one of those things like stick. It's sand. I knew you were I have an that. issue. It's like chalk. Chalk sticks. I have an issue with this one. Why? I think a toy should be something that's that's like designed and somebody comes up with a, a genius idea. It, it, it's it's something that just exists. I mean, it could be leaves. I like going out and taking a magnifying glass and burning leaves. That could be a toy. No, the magnifying glass would be the toy. But that's true. But that's sand, true. there's connect sand. There's regular sand, a sandbox. But that's not what this is. And it's a, sand may be the most universal and oldest toy in the world. A toy is about pushing your creativity and about building sand castles, about playing in the sand, always having the dump trucks out there to play in the sand and excavating. If you didn't have sand, you'd just be pushing a truck in the yard. You need something for that. Even as adults. You can go to a adult sandbox and play with trucks and, and excavators and bulldozers. Wait a minute. Are you serious? There's a place you can go do this? Yes. Adult what, sandboxes. I'll, I'll look. I'll see how, how, what the closest one is for us. I'm, I'm interested. Uh, okay. Hey, here we go. A hobby game. Settlers of Catan on there. That's a nice little honor to get nominated. And finally, the toy fire engine. Now, like every year, 
Uh, Tony and I are going to pick three that we think is going to be on this list. Uh, Tony, and if we have matching, we'll, we'll say that. But Tony, do you have your first one? My first, I'm sorry. I'm looking at extreme sandboxes right now. <laughs> well, do that after the show. Oh, we'll, I'm sorry. We'll, we'll, have a, we'll have a field trip somewhere. How about that? Uh, it's in Minnesota. That's the closest one? Uh, yeah, well, we'll, t- well, you and I could open this. All right. Well, I think we just went through it. Sand. You think that's... Uh, no, I'm not naming that as one of my three. I'm, I'm going to name that as one of my three. Okay. Well, one of my three is actually Battleship. There's three board games on here. Personally, I think Battleship is the one of any of the board games that would take it. It would be cool if Catan did. I just don't think it's as well-known uh, to a lot of people. So. Even after the pandemic? No. I mean, Battleship has been around since, uh, gosh, when did it come out? Paper versions were in the 1930s, and the first plastic was in 67. So, And it's still being played today. So, so my, my first one's Battleship. My next one, I think this one to show up, is the Corn Popper. So that's my second one. Corn Popper, 100%. Corn Popper. And my number one pick that I think will probably win it all. Oh, you know, I, I was sitting there back and forth between actually risk because of there's a lot of people that love risk there's a lot of tournaments behind risk but you know i'm gonna go with cabbage patch really so i'm avoiding anything that was a a fad and no longer exists i think cabbage patch are still around they may be but they're not not as big as as what they used to be and i'm torn between two i i'm torn between billiards and fire engine uh, I'm going to actually, I, I think, I always think billiards is more of a sport. So I'm going to go fire engine. That's okay. probably, that's probably a, a, a black horse pick, but I'm going to go fire engine. So <laughs> I need to write these down somewhere because <laughs> when they come out, I have to go back and listen to this episode and go, okay, what do we pick? I forgot. Well, just uh, tomorrow you'll remember and you can just put in the, um, I don't know. We'll put it somewhere. So uh, no, I'll list it on the website. That's what I should do. There you go. There you go. So there you go. There are our picks uh, for who we think is going to win. And when they announce it, we'll come back and, and we'll talk about it. Uh, let us know y'all's picks. So one thing I do want to bring up and mentioned is I was surprised by Billiards and Mejong. Both of those games or both of those activities are notorious for betting. Mm. So that's what surprised me about those being on the thing. I don't consider a toy of billiards. I know growing up you had little mini billiards toy sets, things like that. But I don't really consider that unless you are trying to have someone go and work at a pool hall. And Meijong in China, you know, there's such a gambling issue with it from the standpoint of being able to lose your savings from it. That game is is brutal. So I was very surprised to see both of those on the list. But hey, okay, that's fine. So let me ask you this. I'm putting you on the spot. Uh, can you do a poll on BGG where you can select multiple items and let people pick what they, what three, or you could just do single selection, just see what people think are going to make it. Yeah. I can f- try to figure that out and put another poll out there. Mm-hmm. Sweet. All right. So we'll get a poll out there on that. And that's the toy hall of fame. One day I hope they invite us to vote. They should. We covered every single year and we have for many years now. The winners will be announced on November 4th. Every once in a while, a game comes out that is just so different than a lot of other games that you've seen. In this case, I'm referring to The Adventures of Robin Hood from designer Michael Menzel, who's also the artist of the game, published by Cosmos. 
Now we've all seen campaign style games and legacy style games where you have a board and you put stickers on the board and you open boxes. But what about a game board where you actually peel pieces off of the game board as part of the game itself and when you're done you put the pieces back and it's actually replayable. That's what you have with this game, The Adventures of Robin Hood. First, the board is absolutely beautiful. It's like a work of art itself. And the campaign book is a hardback book, which just gives it a nice feel. In this game, you're going to be playing through the story of Robin Hood. You know the classic story where you rob from the poor and give to the rich? No, wait, strike that. Reverse it. You steal from the rich and give to the poor? In this co-op game for two to four players, you play as Robin Hood and his companions and set out on adventures across the board having to face evil Prince John and his henchmen. Move around the board, reveal a space, which will be a reference to a page in the book to go and read in order to progress the story and to determine the goal of your scenario. One nice thing about this game is it's replayable. So even though you may have played through the entire campaign, because there's no stickers being applied to the board or anything being torn up, you can play it again. In fact, you could play it on a more difficult level. For ages 10 and up, this game is made for families. As the rules are easy to understand, it's easy to play, and it just looks great. So if you're looking for a story-driven co-op game for friends and family, then check out The Adventures of Robin Hood from designer Michael Menzel and publisher Cosmos. Five-minute initiative begins in three, two, one. Several years ago, we played a game called Machikoro, a very, very popular game where you're buying cards, putting them on the table, rolling dice, and based on the results of those die, you're going to activate the cards. When we reviewed this game many, many years ago, I thought it was okay because the base game basically had this preset cards that were set out on the table. And to me, it felt like, Tony, it was very programmatic to me. It felt like you always need to buy these particular cards in order to have a good chance of winning. Now, when the expansion came out, we came back and did the review again, and I liked it even more because now what the expansion did was the cards were constantly changing on what was available. Pandasaurus Games has now released Machi Koro 2. This is designed by Maseo Shuganuma. Plays two to five players, about 45 minutes. And it's still the same sort of thing where you have money that you're going to use to buy cards, put them into play. You're going to either roll one or two die. Based on the results, you're going to activate cards. It could be cards that everybody gets to activate and take advantage of. It could be cards that your opponent gets to activate on their turn, depending on what was rolled. So it's the same sort of mechanics, except that now you have two decks of cards, one through six and seven through 12, and you're going to have a market of each one of those available to you, and that's going to constantly be changing. So you're going to be seeing a lot of different cards over the course of the game, which means it's not as programmatic as what the original base game was. So to me, it fixed the issue that I had with the original game. So you say there weren't the, you know, a lot different. I don't remember Machi Koro playing. I, I just don't remember it at all. I think we may play it once or twice and I was done with it. Mm -hmm. So for this one though, you, we kept turning over the same buildings. So it's not like there was like 20 buildings in seven through 12. Oh, no, well, hold on a second. Yeah, but here's the thing. Same buildings are stacked on top of each other. You're always going to have five different buildings available to you. If you draw if you draw the same building, you just stack it on the existing one already. Okay. And uh, one point that I'd like to make, you got to find a seven. You got to find an eight. You got to find a six. If you don't get those buildings, then, you know, 
do I think you're going to get behind a little bit? Maybe, but something did happen in our game where I caught up quickly, which was, I was like, man, I am getting my hind end kicked me and you're going to win this in no time. And then suddenly it actually became a race to the end, which surprised me. That was like, wait, whoa, whoa, what just happened here? How did this just happen? Because one of the cards that you bought was, would have activated on my turn if I rolled it. So I rolled and it's like, oh, guess what? You're going to steal like half of the amount of uh, coins that I have. And you, and you took half and all of a sudden it got very equal really quick. Now you also have landmark cards that you can buy. And the whole goal of the game is to buy three landmark cards and they get progressively more expensive. First time you buy one, it's a certain amount and they keep going up each time. So the whole goal is to try to generate as much money as you can to try to buy those landmark cards. Now, also I like too, Tony, is when you roll the dice, you either pick one die to roll or two die. And if you roll two, you must add them together. Now, to me, when this first game first came out, Space Base replaced it. That's the game that I compared this to. You're buying cards that can be activated on other people's turns. In that game, when you rolled the dice, you could sum them or treat them as individual dice. Not so here. So the, the idea was to get buildings out that work together because you may have landmarks that says when you activate this and if it's this type of building, you get extra money, et cetera. So it's a little engine building game, Tony, in the end that you hope that if the dice roll your way, that uh, you can generate enough, co- enough coins to win the game. Yeah. And during your time on the board, you are trying to make sure you maximize, optimize your tableau so it covers the range from one to 12. As you know, the statistics bell curve of dice rolling, especially on two. Now, I rolled two, and I still couldn't get above six at times. But I did like the landmarks and the fact that when you bought one of the landmarks, either the text held for it for a while, or it may have been a one-time effect. But, you know, I enjoyed that. I did like that there's the end game. It wasn't X amount of points or something like that. It's buy three landmarks, and you're done. Overall, fun little game. Interesting. Uh, I don't remember Machi Caro, Machi Coro, the first one very well, mm-hmm. but I did. But I did enjoy this one when we played it. I think this is a good family game. Again, I think this is another one of those games. If you want to show your family something unique and different, uh, I think this is this is a good one to do. And it's very easily explained depending on the type of card you had. It actually says on the card whether it activates on your turn only. Or everybody gets to activate if that number comes up, or only your opponents get to activate. So color-coded, very easy to read. The cards are straightforward. Here's the thing. Would I teach Space Space first or Machi Koro 2 in the past? I would have said Space Space, but I think that this has been made now to where it's probably a little bit more approachable to me than Space Space is. So if I was to bring it out for my family who doesn't play a lot of games, I think it'd be Machi Koro 2 over Space Base. But if I was sitting at the table, you'd be bringing out Space Base. Yeah, <laughs> we, we still do still do real like Space Base. So Machi Koro 2, to me, addresses all the issues I had with the base game of the regular Machi Koro, which I think was fix, fixed with the expansions. But they took what they did with the expansions, put it into this base game, so if you enjoy Machi Koro 1, you'll definitely want to pick up Machi Koro 2. I do think it's better from Pandasaurus Games. Five-minute initiative is complete. A game that's coming out from Portal Games at Essen is Dreadful Circus. We have a copy of this game. 
Tony and I are going to be playing it and we're going to be talking about it in the next episode. But this is a bidding game. This is from the veteran designer Bruno Faduti. Again, it's going to be coming out at Essen. Tony and I can't wait to play it. It plays four to eight players. Going to do a little bit of bidding, Tony. You and I are going to put some stuff out, put some cards out there, and then people are going to bid on those cards. And we're going to try to get some victor points out of that sucker. I'll be excited that we're going to be having four to five people at the table. That will be exciting. <laughs> that, that is extremely rare. So, yeah, remember, don't forget, you can get the uh, Nurashima Hex app that we'll be talking about a little bit later. Our experiences with that. Dreadful Circus on pre-order right now. Head over to Portal Games. Dot us dot com, portal games uh, dot us what is it tony tell me portalgamesus.com and it'll redirect you to a whole bunch of other sites there you go once a week we get together and do our board gaming night and i get this notice that says oh by the way i will be watching nintendo direct tonight when we're playing games and i'm like you can watch it anytime you're going to interrupt board game night with Nintendo Direct? Really? Is it? Does it mean that much to you? So we're sitting there playing board games, and somebody breaks out the old iPad to watch his Nintendo Direct, and I've never seen anybody become such a fanboy. Oh, my heavens. It was unreal watching Marty sit there and watch this and get all excited about games. And I'll admit, sir, your enthusiasm bleached over onto me a little bit. I'll give you that. You were happy, weren't you? I, I was happy. I, I really enjoyed this Direct. They showed a, a lot. I know you're not a Monster Hunter fan. Uh, we missed the very beginning of it. There's a big Monster Hunter expansion uh, coming next year. I'm trying to think of the big things that got me excited. Uh, of course, Metroid wasn't anything new. There's a game that I keep hearing about that I never... Did you ever play Act Razor no. on the SNES? I haven't either, and people are saying it's amazing. Bert got it. He said he loved the original game. He said the new version is really good. So I'm tempted uh, to when that one goes on sale, go get ActRaiser. It's like a side-scroller and a city builder. I'm like, how does that even work? So I, I was very interested um, in, in that one uh, when it was announced. Now, you never played any Bayonetta, have you? Nope, never played that. Mm -mm. People have been waiting for the Bayonetta 3. Uh, that was exciting to see. Uh, that was announced. So, yeah, that, that's going to be a, a really cool one that uh, comes out next year. Was there anything that stuck out to you while we were sitting there and I was supposed to be taking my turn and wasn't and was watching this instead? Uh, probably the biggest thing was the announcement at the end for the um, uh not the uh, in Nintendo 64 games for when you do the uh, like they have with NES and SNES. That was exciting to me that they were going to include that in the online membership, that they are going to start releasing those games. Is there a particular N64 game you're excited about? Well, of the ones they announced was Mario Tennis. For me, it's uh, it's F Zero. F Zero. I enjoyed the, the original F Zero on the SNES, but you know, I played it and I don't know if it's lived up to time or for me or whatever. I was just kind of like, eh, I can play Burnout Paradise or something like that if I wanted to. I understand F-Zero, great game, fun game. But yeah, uh, tennis, I would be interested in. I probably wouldn't play Ocarina of Time again. I wouldn't play Super Mario 64. Some Genesis games will come out. I mean, if you like Sonic and stuff like that, there's some there's some decent Genesis games. I thought that was interesting too. Out of the blue, it's like, oh yeah, Genesis game is going to be on there. The two biggest competitors at the time, Nintendo versus Sega. And now, you know, they're working together. Yeah, when's Graphics going to hit? 
Yeah, yeah, that'd be cool. Another game I'm excited about too, this will now a drop date next year. It was called Project Triangle, but now it's Triangle Strategy, uh, which is like the uh, Final Fantasy Tactics style game. Mm. I like that style game. So I'm really looking forward to that one too. So I was thinking about that when you said, is there anything else? I would do the Zelda Ocarina of Time just to see if I could stop again at the water dungeon. <laughs> stop again. Yep, there's the water dungeon. All right, I'm done. Thank you and good night. <laughs> <laughs> that was that was probably that dungeon will probably live in live live in my memory forever too just how frustrating that thing was oh that was so irritating yes i love directs i mean big ones only happen a few times a year so uh i was i was super excited about it and oh my, oh my gosh i almost forgot the castlevania advance konami is actually releasing Four games. I've been waiting on the uh, games from the Game Boy Advance, the Castlevania games, to come out, and they finally did it. And holy cow, at a price point of 20 bucks, that is insane. My first exposure to Castlevania was on, on those old Game Boy Advance games, and I remember my knees falling asleep, my legs falling asleep. <laughs> playing that game as you know you know in the office and stuff while you're going off and doing your business uh, but you know you had to get by that final boss man <laughs> i played the mess out of that game on the game boy uh sp i haven't bought it yet because before the direct i spent money on the diablo 2 the remake resurrected which i was excited about it's like well great now i just spent money on this i probably should play this a little bit before i get castlevania advance but i will be getting that I guess, you know, I'm not that big of a side-scroller kind of guy. And mm-hmm. some of those or a lot of like, uh, you know, Metroid and, and the other ones, they just all looked like side-scrollers to me. So nothing really jumped out at me. Anyway, so I got Dread coming out in two weeks. I've already told Vanessa that weekend is Metroid Dread weekend. So she said, well, good, because I'm going to be gone on Saturday. So you can just Metroid Dread all day long. I went, I will be doing that. Well, you knock yourself out. Yeah, I cannot wait for that. All right. And finally, the other thing is a brand new Nurashima Hex app is out on the phones, iOS and Android. Tony, you and I have been playing a few games against each other. I must admit, this is a good port of this game to the phone. And I've been playing on the iPad and I've been enjoying it other than you're beating the snot out of me every time. That's okay. <laughs> it's It's got some growing stages. I'll admit that. It'd be some nice things to add. I don't know in the latest advance. And, you know, I hope they fix the music bug. I turned the music off. How can I start it up at work if the music immediately kicks in and I have to go into settings and it has to, and I, in order to turn it back off? Oh, I just keep the phone turned down. So I didn't realize it was a bug. Oh, well, to me it is. It may not be. Maybe they want you to announce to the world you're playing Hiroshima. I don't know. <laughs> I, so what do you think about, uh, have you played on the phones for, for us who is like, we always talk about putting on glasses. I do appreciate you can just, you know, hold your finger down on one of the tiles. It's, it pulls up and it, it gives you text on how the tile works, which is really nice. It took me a while to be able to discern all the information on the tile without clicking on it. It's the standard art. But again, when you're looking on a small phone like I do, it's like, no, wait a minute. Is that a range? Is that a melee? Is that an armor? What's the initiative on this one? And I don't remember all the rules. Like there was one I was trying to use today about move an enemy's unit and it wouldn't activate. I don't know why. There's something about the rule I need to go read up on what does the move do and when can you use it? 
because I wanted to move one of your units, but it wouldn't let me do that. My favorite thing is watching you and I do the undo feature. It shows your opponent doing the undo feature constantly. <laughs> and I'm like there, I'm sitting there going, okay, that's number five. Number six. Okay, here's the reason why. Because one, uh, I'm playing, I can't remember which one I'm playing now. It's where units can move. You select the spot you want to move, then rotate. And it's like, oh, I didn't want him to rotate that direction because I couldn't see it clearly. And then I realized, no, I don't want him to be in that spot. I need to be in the other spot. So you have to kind of undo everything to get him to the right spot, then rotate it the right direction. And the worst thing I have is when I want to see what a unit does, I lightly tap it and it gets removed because that's, you know, part you get three tiles and you pick the one to, to delete. Mm -hmm. And I always, Oh, what's the, what does that one do? Oh, I deleted undo. So, and that's on me, you know, it's nothing to do with that. Clean graphics. Love it. I'm having Mm -hmm. a blast with it. Um, I haven't done a lot of the match to do like an auto match or anything like that. I haven't tried to put it on the table with Donna and I playing the iPad version. It'd be interesting to see how, you know, head to head would go because you can, that's one thing you don't have to worry about seeing the other person's tiles because you do, you see their tiles. It's not like it's got to stay hidden. Yeah. By the way, it's your, your turn, by the way, too. So I've taken my turn. And that's another brilliant thing of this game is there's no time limits. And on the phone, you get notified if it's your turn. Now, there is talk of it being ported to the Switch, which I'm excited about. But the problem with the Switch is you just can't pull it out of your pocket and go, oh, it's my turn, mm-hmm. which I can do with the phone. It'll come up with a notification going, Tony has taken his turn three hours ago. Would you hurry up and take your turn? With the Switch, you'd have to turn it on, go start up the game and see if it's your turn. So that is more of a pain. But in real time, I think the Switch would be fun to play. I don't let anything notify me. So that's why you don't see me play. I'll go on and say, oh, I wonder if it's Marty's turn. Marty's done his turn because I don't do notifications. I'm enjoying it. I can't wait for the other armies to be released. Yep. It only comes with the four base armies. So if you're interested in Nurishima Hex, uh, that is available right now on um, iOS and Android. Well, another epic long (laughs) podcast. We're going to get this down. I'm going to force him to get it down. That is my goal. An hour. We're going to achieve an hour by the end of the year. Why? Nobody's complaining. They should. Okay, I'm complaining. (laughs) All right. If you're out there listening right now, we have been running a little longer. Between an hour and a half and two hours. Is that too long? Let us know. Email us at RollDiceTakeNames at gmail.com. You can hit us up on Twitter, Instagram at Dyson Names. Join our Discord channel. Let us know. Are we running too long now? Do we need to shorten it? We're just trying. We've got so many games. We're trying to make sure that we get them all in. So we'll listen to the audience and see what they say. You're not going to listen to me. You're going to listen to them. You're not going to listen to me. Well, we're here for them. You know, 239 episodes ago, we were here for us. Gosh, because at that point, nobody was listening. <laughs> I don't know that people are listening right now. I guess we'll find out. Oh, I mean, that was 30 minutes long. Should have held you. We should have held you to that sweet oh, spot. So it's it's funny. I went and listened to our review of Machi Koro, which is like episode 40 something. I don't know how anybody listened to us back then. I mean, we were so monotone. Yeah, Machi Koro, it was it was all right. Yeah, we played it, and uh, you rolled some dice, you put some. Go- there was like no emotion or anything at all. Now we do like drugs and stuff to you know get up for these things. It's called Mountain Dew. We should I'm have another. Kidding. Yeah, it is jacked up on Mountain Dew. Is what it is. Be a, be a, I hope you can find me that Mountain Dew 
mystery flavor because I have checked a lot of places and I cannot find it. Next episode, we'll do a taste test. Mountain Dew Mystery Boo or whatever. And it's supposed to be a, uh, a mystery flavor. Uh, I've got a can here. I'll find you one. I've seen many convenience stores. And uh, we'll do that next time. All right. So with that, keep in mind, keep rolling dice and taking names. Thanks for listening. And Tony's doing this part that Marty has done for 239 episodes. Why? Because he's done it all before in the show, so he doesn't need to repeat himself. So I'm going to do it. So, hey, thanks for listening. All right, Tony, the 2021 National Toy Hot Toy 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 Toy